So Exodus chapter 1. Um, by the way, fascinating story today. Taliban uh, aid worker killed for preaching. Um, Kabul, Afghanistan. A motorbike gunman killed a foreign aid worker in Kabul Monday. The Afghan Interior Ministry has said. Uh, Gail Williams, 34, younger than me, only kind of. <laughs> had dual British and South African nationality, worked for Serve Afghanistan, which stands for Serving Emergency Relief and Vocational Enterprise. It's an interdenominational Christian charity that helps the disabled, the organization's chairman said in a statement. Williams was shot in the western part of the city uh, while walking to work. She died shortly after the attack. She was a person who always loved the Afghans and was dedicated to serving those who are disabled, it said. Needless to say, we are all in shock. Um, She was killed violently while caring for the most forgotten people in the world, the poor and the disabled. It's like a perfect storm of forgotten. The statement said she herself would not regret taking the risk of working in Afghanistan. She was there where she wanted to be, holding out a helping hand to those in need. the Taliban claimed responsibility for the death <coughs> on its website that it killed the foreign woman for preaching Christianity in the country and adding that it had been following the woman for some time. An August age group in Afghanistan said that a report, a report that attacks on aid workers have forced them to scale back relief work. Fascinating, isn't it? I thought, you know, in the good old days, we've always been a Bible study that actually happens to study the Bible. We go through the Bible and, you know, it, we talked for a while about, you know, kind of a euphemism about, but technically, it's not even studying, it's searching, it's digging, it's finding Jesus in the Bible. That is good theology, is finding Jesus in the Word. And in our day, right now, is a day that we kind of are looking for a deliverer, right? Uh, the one, is Oprah would say. Um, but that's kind of what we're looking for. Wherever your politics are, right? We're kind of looking for someone to buy us out of this mess. And that's really what we're thinking about in our country. And globally, it's no different than that. It's like, okay, we kind of got like a cluster bomb of problems that are all kind of intertwined at the same time. Where is our deliverer? It's kind of the same thing as what was going on with the people of Israel. 400 years they were in captivity in Egypt. And they were looking for a deliverer. They found it in a guy named Moses. A guy that has um, a lot in common with Jesus. A lot in common with... In in Matthew 11, if you remember, John the Baptist had been in jail for a very long time. I'm sure he got in there. He knew. He was out there with his his sackcloth, his little... uh, his fur, right? He was not a pita guy. Um, <laughs> eating locusts. <laughs> uh, and preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand with his cousin Jesus. And so he gets arrested. He's in jail. And you know, I mean, he probably thought, but the deliverer has come. The Messiah has come. And the days would turn into weeks and the weeks into months as you're sitting in this dungeon thinking, huh, Maybe I was wrong. And I believe that he thought he was wrong because in Matthew 11 it said that he sent for the disciples, his disciples to Jesus, and it said this, to ask him if he is the one or should we look for another. And Jesus said, in fact, go to Matthew 11. He said this. 
Verse 2, chapter 11, page 861. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? King James, should we look for another? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. What I hope when people maybe don't ask it in such a way as, are you the one or should we look for another? But what I would hope that our response could be to the world when they say, is Jesus the one? Is it that? Are you guys the real deal or should we look for another? That our response could be not that we're in control of Congress or that we've got our guy in the White House or that we can, but that we could say to them, go back and report that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Isn't that a better response, you know, than our excellently well-crafted arguments and well-thought-out debating points and uh, evidence, you know, that we can argue in circles with them? Maybe isn't it better that that could be our response? That in Haiti, the poor are being fed. That this morning, this little band of warriors in this room is responsible for, you know, 80 kids or however many it is right now. That now, whatever, $3,600 flies in out of nowhere. Isn't that a better response than our well-crafted arguments? Because the deliverer has come. They ought not to look for another. And it was that atmosphere that is the deliverer come that John the Baptist walked into. And Jesus said, yes, he has come. And to me, wherever the deliverer is walking around on the earth, in us, these are things that we would be seeing, right? And so, what I hope that we can find in Exodus as we search through these verses is Jesus, our deliverer, just like Moses, who was their deliverer. Moses, who was 400 years that they had passed. 400 years since Joseph was in Egypt, since they had been walked into this place, there were 70 of them when Joseph first started. In chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, it actually gives the names of this, uh, the sons of Israel. It'd be better if I could get to Exodus, wouldn't it? We're about to study Deuteronomy tonight. Here we go. Um, oh, yeah, that is inside a post-it note. a page number. That's what it's going to find. 51. It's 51. <laughs> These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. 70 people walked into Egypt that day when God delivered them there. They would leave. 400 years later, they would leave with, uh, some guess, three million of them. They were busy, <laughs> like bunnies. <laughs> um, three million of them would leave 
But it was during that time that God take. I'm sorry, turn this off so I don't be. I'm not that guy. That I'm <laughs> Three million of them would leave. Now Joseph and his brothers, verse 6. And all that generation had died. But the Israelites were fruitful, fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. And then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come and we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. History teaches us that it's probably the Pharaoh named Seti that was the guy here. And they had a little problem because the Hittites to the north were giving them issues. Hittites in and of themselves could not defeat them, but you, you know, inside about three million of these guys, uh, and that tends to cause problems, so they decided the best way to do that is to oppress them, to beat them down, and to put them into slavery. Which is amazing. It says in verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. labor. And they built uh, Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. This picture is part of the entirety of the book of Exodus, which is a picture for us, okay? Jesus, if you remember right, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? That very spiritual word. When he marched up to the mountain not long before he was to die. Does anybody remember who it was that he spoke to up there? Moses and Elijah. And it says something fascinating. Because it says that they talked about Jesus's, The King James, it says, decease. NIV says departure. The Greek says exodus. Exodus. It means leaving. They were talking about the deliverance. The new exodus, if you will. The deliverance from sin. Missing the mark, not just individually, okay? Not just the fact that, you know, our individual sins that we, are, that we struggle with, that we battle with, those sins that we say, you're never going to do that again, starting now, you know, starting tomorrow, never again. The sins that we wrestle, that we struggle with, as Paul said to the Philippians, it was a struggle that we did. But the deliverance was that, Jesus' exodus. And it's interesting because the imagery here is perfect. Masters over them. What does it say in Romans about the sin over us? Romans 6, 12, it says that sin will no longer be our master. It will no longer be a slave to sin. Because that is what's happening systematically in our own lives. We are going to serve one or the other, right? It's either God or money, as Jesus would say. And then in, the, in Romans, it talks about sin, having not mastered that slave over us, that we're not the slaves to sin. And that is what Moses was setting in motion for the people of Israel. Because what happens in sin is when you put, when you serve anybody other than the Lord, they, they become your master. Is that, does that make sense? And when we're serving the Lord... He becomes our master. And I know this is like sort of elementary. But what the picture here is, is that there is not only an individual sin, but there is a systemic oppression, a systemic... And, and hear me out on this. I kind of wrote about it a little bit in the blog. I took some of it from our pastor here at Journey that talked about it at one point. But Satan is not omnipotent, okay? He's an angel. There's no recording that he ever changed his looks, all those pictures with the horns. 
and the tail and the pitchfork. And if you went to church ever when you were a kid, you probably saw the puppet with the red puppet, you know, with the devil. And, um, a lot of times you had a cape. It's a little bit like the Count on Sesame Street, <laughs> but red, you know. There's no record of that. He's an angel, and by his very virtue, is powerful. But sin itself is, is a system. And if Satan is not omnipotent, okay, is not omniscient, probably doesn't even know my name, hopefully. You know what I mean? You don't want to take him off, right? Because he's coming after you personally. And I appreciate all those things that, you know, when you're a kid, it's the Satan this and the devil that. And, and the fact is, is that there are evil spirits and there are principalities, there are powers. But Satan is not everywhere. In fact, it actually says in, in Revelation that he has a throne and it specifically talks about it in what it would be now, it would be modern day Turkey. Fascinating. Um, there's a physical location that he, his strongholds, and there, there's, there's uh, evidence of, in the scripture throughout of of strongholds and, and cities and all those things. So when I rebuke Satan from me, probably doesn't even hear me, okay? Maybe he gets a memo, I don't know. He's probably busy with, but with the war in Iraq. He's got a lot to do, you know? <laughs> you know, there's, just, there's, there's big stuff going on that he's, you know. However, if he could set in motion systems, okay, whether it's our government systems, whether it's our societal systems, whether it's our church systems, we begin to serve the systems, and we do just a pretty darn good job without him of screwing it up. We're pretty effective at oppressing people, pretty effective at marginalizing people, extremely effective at cordoning ourselves off and creating our own little world and our own little language and our own little deal and and so that if you aren't a quote-unquote believer, we're going to quote-unquote reach you. We have our systems in this. You, know, you follow me on this? You smell what I'm stepping So if the system is that, there is a system of sin as well, which is basically the Old Testament just means missing the mark. Missing, the Old Testament's missing the way, okay? Like I've, I've gotten off the path. In the New Testament, the word sin is actually missing the mark, like you know, shooting an arrow or a gun. And you just missed the target. That's what sin is. And so when we miss God's perfect target, God's perfect way, that is sin. And so those systems, not only did Jesus come to set you and I free individually from the sins that, that absolutely beset us individually, but from the systems of sin, the systems of government, the systems of society that would marginalize, that would oppress that would starve, that would... I mean, we live in... It infuriates me to think that we live in a system that would value whatever your politics are, a $700 billion check to help Wall Street when $75 billion would feed every... would end poverty on this earth, okay? Our system is a little messed up. You know, I mean, bless Bono's heart. He's been working like a rented mule trying to get, you know, people... The government, and you know, say what you will about Bono or you two, or whether you like rattle and hum or not, I don't know. But, <laughs> but the fact is, is this guy's been sitting in front of world leaders saying, all I want is $3 billion of your money. All he would say to us as even Americans is, look, you want good foreign policy? Go feed all these people. And, you know, I mean, like what, you know, being greeted as liberators or greeted as people with, you know, with a buffet. You know what I mean? What do you want? And, but our system would say, no, 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 we have to. Feed the beast. Jesus has come to say, 
how do I say this right? I about said it wrong. Um, away with all of that. I've come to bring a new kingdom, a new exodus, if you will, not just individually for your sin and for my sin, even though that is it, and that is huge, but the entire system of, in general, and ultimately will set up His kingdom, okay? This is a process, and just like the exodus, could, I mean, God could have absolutely sneezed and killed Pharaoh, and they could have walked out in one day, okay? You know what I mean? Just absolutely spit a giant you know, cosmic loogie on him and drown him, and he'd be done. But he didn't. He chose another way, another system, another option, which was to deliver Egypt, I mean, deliver Israel from Egypt over a period of time. I believe what happened when Jesus came on the earth was he set in motion a, an activity, a system, a, uh, a new kingdom, he said, that will ultimately be culminated in the fact that he comes back and opens up his can of whoop God and takes out the evildoers and sets up his own kingdom. Because the fact is, is the reason we'll never get it right. I don't care whose guy wins. I don't care who, whether it's Mugabe in Zimbabwe, Putin in Russia. It won't work until Jesus comes and sets up his government because it will be perfect. And then it says there will be no more tears. And then it says that every, every man will have his own vine. Right? I'm fired up for having me a vine. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> but I'm going to have one. Be out there, my kids will be fanning me, you know, like like they did in Egypt. Anyway, um, I can see that. You know, my kids out there fanning dad while he's eating grapes in a hammock. So, but but read this next verse with me. It says that they oppressed him. They built uh, Pitzim and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But listen to this. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. I don't know if you're a Bible underliner, but I got that one underlined, and I even put a little fancy star by it. Because, actually, it's a star of Darren, because it's really kind of not a very fancy star. It's really kind of dumb. Well, I do now, apparently. So, people are going to ask you, people ask me, why do I go through hard times? Why is it that this hard time is hitting my life? Why is it that I feel like I'm kind of being beat down, oppressed, I'm a little tired of them? And I asked that this morning as I was carrying my little self around to Pinkerton Park. Why is it, God, that I have to do this? <laughs> why? I mean, seriously. This sucks. And the answer is every time if you ever lifted weights, and clearly I have not for a while, but you go home that day and you were tired and you were sore, and your muscles are torn, and they're ripped, but something magical happens. You go to sleep that night, and your body begins to rebuild itself stronger than it was the day before. And you're going to be sore the next day. And the bad news is, is you're even going to be more sore the next day. <laughs> but slowly and systematically, your body will become stronger. There's a reason why James said, count it joy. He doesn't say it's joy. He says like when you're counting, like the one for you, one for me, or I'm going to count this and this. Count it as joy when you're in trials and tribulations because the trying of your faith works patience and patience, perseverance and perseverance, endurance is faith. It's, it's this process that's happening in your life. 
it isn't happy, but you can count it as joy because the fact is, is as much as it sucks, when I carried my jiggly self across the half marathon finish line, okay, it was one of the greatest days of my life. I, my legs ached, but I did it. And it's such a beautiful thing. It's why Paul, I think, talks about running act like marathons specifically in his picture because a marathon is not... Look, I wasn't racing the Kenyans, okay? They were. The Kenyan beat me by so bad that he had had time to shower, put a suit on, and walk back up the hill and wave me in, okay? And he did the, and he did the whole marathon, okay? 26 miles, and he smelled fresh. I mean, it was like... It, most... People, I did not smell fresh, by the way. This smelled very unfortunate, as a matter of fact. <laughs> a very distinct smell. Like, you know, there's there those smells which are, like, are a standard smell. You smell like a wet dog. You smell like a skunk. There are smells that are so bad that they now have, they have created a standard in which other smells are measured against. The smell of Darren finishing the marathon is a new one. You smell like a Darren finishing the marathon is a new smell <laughs> that has been categorized. Anyway. You're going through this just like Israel because the more they were oppressed, the more they were beaten down, the more they went through, the bigger they grew. It's just true. God had a picture bigger than what I could figure out, bigger than what you can figure out. I mean, why did God take him there to begin with? God told Abraham, and if you're taking notes, there's two reasons why I think that God took him to Israel or to Egypt to begin with. Okay? First of all, he said that, uh, first of all, it's. Uh, Pretty clear to me that if you get 70 people and you're going to build a great nation out of them, you need protection. You need an incubator, if you will. And the only thing better than having your own military is renting someone else's. <laughs> so God put them there in a, the most well protected place that He could find and gave them favor and grew them into a great nation. He absolutely put them into a spot that where they might have thought, okay, this stinks, okay, I am being oppressed, I am being beaten down, I am being taken over, and what God was saying is, no, 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 I'm building you into a great nation. This is the kiln, okay? You are being slow roasted, right? This is the deep fry, okay? And you're going to walk out of here a great nation. Something else jumped out at me. I think it's in chapter 15, maybe verse 16 of Genesis. Someone might want to turn to make sure I'm not... But when God told Abraham he was going to make him into a great nation, he told him this. He said, so that uh, you'll be like the sea. Remember this, the stars in the sky, the sands by the sea. But he says something fascinating. He says, until the time, uh, and I'm going to take you out of this land, into a land that's not your own, for four generations. Which, by the way, for if you're a Hal Lindsey kind of guy, that's one of the proof texts for a generation being 100 years and 100 years being a generation. And that's important because it says in, in, uh, in the New Testament that that the sign of the fig tree would be Israel being reborn, and that generation will not pass until and so uh, until they see these things come to pass. And that's important here because if, if a generation is a hundred years, then we might still have another, you know, whatever thirty years. Of course, there's also proof text for it being forty years, and proof text of you know who knows. The fact is is that God knows He's got it under control. I don't have to freak out. But He says this. He says that the Amorites, I think, and the the Hittites. He basically saying until their sin is full. Because you look at it and you think, so not only was, I guess, was he preparing Israel, okay? He was preparing the land for Israel. And it's important to think this through because a lot of times people would read and say, God says to clean them out and to get rid of them and to kill them. God was cruel. God was mean. And in fact, he wasn't. He was impressively merciful 
He gave those folks 400 years to repent. 400 years of kindness and mercy. Twice as old as our nation to get out of, you know, to get it done. And they wouldn't and they refused. And just like if you've got a cancer in your leg or a cancer in a part of your body, what do they do? They cut it off. Not as an act of cruelty, but as an act of mercy because they don't want it to spread. That's what a doctor would do to you. That's what God had to do from time to time in our world was to cut something off to keep the cancer from spreading. He gave those people 400 years to change their ways from their wickedness, their sexual debauchery, their sinfulness. And we don't have time to go into the sins that they were participating in. But these people, not good. They were not nice people. And he goes on to say here in verse 14, and then we're getting ready to, uh, to land this thing. For you, it's your turn after that. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar. And that would be a bitter life, if I'm being honest. Brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. That's how I grew up, by the way. Works in the fields, and it was bitter. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sifra and Puah, I was loving when you see like that because it's like somebody just gets an honorable mention in the Bible. I would have taken that, by the way. If I'd have been alive in that day, like, you know, I would, like, just my name, just it's an honorable mention, but they get one right here. It says, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. As an aside, and for whatever it's worth, it's interesting when you note, whenever there's a major deliverance, a major exodus, a major showing of God on the earth, a major direction change, if you will, oftentimes it's preceded by babies being killed. You see it here. You see it when Jesus came on the earth. Uh, and we see it now. We call it abortion and we can call it whatever we want, but when a child is murdered, it is what it is. That's not a political issue, that is an absolute fact. And whatever the woman's right is, it is is interesting to me and to note that we live in a time that we do, in a time when babies are being murdered by the millions in our own country under our own watch as we go about our daily lives. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said this, because the midwives didn't do this. And he says, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous, like my wife, and give birth before the midwives arrive. Shannon, by the way, pro. No, no, seriously, she, like, if we could figure out a way to make a living at it, she could be rich. You'll want to edit that part. Yeah, that part will. And there was four kids. Four kids. But seriously, we could possibly edit the show. I, it's it's amazing. Like we anyway. Last time, <laughs> last time we were at the hospital, like the last two times, I'm like, I get there and I'm like, I get to the check-in desk. I'm like, look, I just need you to understand this. If we do not, like my wife has babies fast, and if we do not get this at the door, then I'm going to hold you personally responsible. <laughs> and that is a quote to the check-in lady. And of course, they think that I'm like some crazy psycho husband who's just panicked. I'm like, no, no, I've got this is number three. I know how this is going to go. And an hour later, there's a baby. I mean, just, <laughs> like we're the kind of couple you think, how does? Seriously, you think these are the couple? How do they end up having a baby on the side of the road? Like that could be us. Like she goes that quickly, so she was vigorous like the Hebrew women. <laughs> I'm just reading the scriptures. You guys do with it what you want. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families of their own. 
And then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. And we're going to go next week into the baby, you know, in a basket. Moses hitting the earth, hitting the scene. The theme of Genesis, by the way, is creation. The theme of Exodus is redemption. It's our theme. Redemption means to buy back. Like when you go to, uh, when you have a coupon, a coupon. I heard a guy talking about coupons. I'm like, a coupon? What the heck is a coupon? A coupon. But when you get a coupon, like the Clipper magazine, like I've got four kids, so we use the coupons a lot, okay? They buy one, get one free. Uh, if you go and it says redeem this for what? Buy one, get one free, right? That's what redemption is. Is Jesus' coupon, so to speak, redeeming us, our redemption, out of <laughs> present this for one soul for eternity. Um, buy one, get one free. That's right, because Jesus did it. He got himself anyway. No, no, an excellent metaphor at all, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I'll cut that metaphor out. Sometimes the metaphors hit and sometimes they miss. Yeah, just give you some. Feel free to make up your own metaphors at this point. Um, it's like mad <laughs> Our redemption is going to be painted out throughout this entire book. There's never been a better time to start Exodus than right now. Because we live in a world that we are experiencing, we are in the middle of what I believe will result ultimately in the Lord returning. I mean, I don't know if you've watched the news, but we're kind of out of options. You know what I mean? I mean, we got, this is, I, well, what, like, while I appreciate the guys in the 50s thinking that Jesus was coming back, well, I even appreciate Paul thinking that he was coming back. I mean, everything is in motion right now. Everything. And we either are going to have a world of problems Maybe the tribulation started two weeks ago. I don't know. Seems like there'd be something, but I don't know. Like they didn't say anything about it on MSNBC, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Fox News probably has to say <laughs> watching CNN too much. I miss it. Rush was talking about it today. No, um, it's now is the... I just... There hasn't been a better time. Whether it's technology, whether it's the in every country even mentioned in the Bible all of a sudden is all in place, everything. And either we're going to have a huge problem, okay, or Jesus is coming back. And I believe that he's coming back. And I believe that in our lifetime, I, I, when my daughter, who is now seven, was born. <laughs> Yeah, I know, because I'm thinking, um, we get all these birthdays, I know what my wife is. Splice that. Um, it was five days later, five days later, 9-11 happened, and I thought, what did my daughter, what did I do? What have I, what have I brought her into? What world did I bring her into? And lately I've felt this peace thinking, oh, I've brought her into this world. I've brought her into the world that the disciples long to see. John was said, it said Jesus said of John in Matthew 11 that he is the greatest born of all women up until that point. John was Old Testament. But he said, but even with John, as great as he is, he's still weak, less than you or I who are born into the kingdom. That we live in a time that we're going to get to see this thing unfold. And I want you to know that I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to look like. I only know this, that you and I are safe. We're going to be okay. 
We're going to be just like the Israelites that we're going to see as these plagues happened and descended on this world that they were in. I mean, think it's it's really interesting to note that that like people were dying all around them. Okay, that like like flies and frogs and you know and just crazy crazy stuff. And I you know and, and we'll talk theology at one point as far as pre-post and all that stuff, but. Whatever's going to happen, okay? Because we're not guranteed that even before the tribulation, right? we're guaranteed that something's going to happen and it's getting worse. But we're going to be okay, and I'm okay for the first time as, as peace has come on me. That I brought my kids into an amazing world. I brought my kids into an amazing scene. Nothing more biblical than being born, right? At that moment, God knew us before. It was for that moment that my children were born. It's for this moment that you were born. For this time. And I only want, and I'm, we're going to turn it over to you guys now, that as we study this Exodus, as we live out this Exodus, as we live out the kingdom of God being built on this earth, that when Jesus does return, that He finds me, that He finds you busy building the kingdom. Not busy with my kingdom, not busy with your kingdom, His kingdom. That His kingdom would come, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word tonight. My prayer is that we, as we turn it over to each other, that not only will you speak through me, that we'll speak, you'll speak through each of us tonight. That whatever word, whatever rainbow word that you've given to us tonight individually, that it would minister even more so. In Jesus' name, amen. Start a new one. And to see how it picks up. It records a thought. We'll put you on the podcast. So what jumped out?